Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling Podcast. For countless parents, the journey to unschooling has redefined childhood and transformed their family relationships. Are you curious? Together, let's explore what living and learning looks like without school. Hello, explorers. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 218 of the podcast. It's the 11th of March, 2020, as I record this intro. And this week, I have a really fun conversation with Jane Coburn. Jane's mom, Robin, joined me back in 2017 and episode 74, and it was really great to connect with Jane. She openly shares her unschooling experience and insights, and we talk about video games, learning, food controls, and touch on many of the big topics that come up for families new to unschooling. It's wonderful to hear her perspective and see how unschooling has influenced her life. As a personal update this week, the big news is that the snow is melting. Yay! (laughs) I can see some grass. It's been a nice backdrop as I work on the technical setup for the online network that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, and that's going well. I'm also having a lot of fun working with Roya Dado and my book cover designer on the cover for Roya's first book, which I'm publishing through Forever Curious Press in just a couple of months. Her book is titled Connect with Courage, Practical Ways to Release Your Fears and Joy in the Places Your Children Take You. It's coming up fast, and I'm really excited to share it. And last but never least, I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. And a big welcome to new patrons, Susan Baudry and Eva Whipple. Hi, Susan. Hi, Eva. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Your generous support not only lets me know that you enjoy the show and want it to continue, it allows me to spend time creating episodes each week and to keep the podcast archive freely available to anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash exploring unschooling. And now let's dive into my conversation with Jane. Welcome. I'm Pam Larickia from livingjoyfully.ca and today I'm here with Jane Coburn. Hi, Jane. Hi. Just to give you, let you guys know, um, Jane's mom, Robin, was on the podcast. It was way back in episode 74 now. Wow, it feels like it was very recently. But anyway, I am so thrilled that Jane was happy to join me to talk about her experience growing up unschooling. So to get us started, can you just share with us a bit about you and your family? Uh, Yeah, so uh, we've lived in Los Angeles for my whole life. Um, I was born here and uh, my parents decided from before I was even born that they wanted to homeschool me Then they found unschooling and I was like, oh, this is perfect. Um, And so then, you know, from the time I was, you know, a baby, uh, we were very much interested in like uh, local homeschooling things. Um, Since I was very young, we would go to like park days and I was actually in a, uh, well, it was predominantly homeschoolers, uh, like dance class that I went to once a week for like 10 years. I started when I was like three. Um, <laughs> and I love that. And that's where I met so many of my friends. And a lot of the people who I saw at park days were also in that. Um, fun fact, 
I am friends from that dance class with a girl who knows the singer Billie Eilish. Uh, And a bunch of people I know actually grew up friends with her. So, you know, six degrees of separation or whatever. That's interesting. (laughs) Um, And uh, then, you know, we used to play at El Rey. And then around the time I was like 14, we moved um, to an area of LA called Mid-City, which is quite literally very central to the city um and uh i for the first time had my own room because we used to live in a one-bedroom apartment and now i have my own bedroom which is where i'm in right now um so that was something really fun and uh we've always gone to a lot of conferences and uh just sort of done a lot of uh, fun traveling activities so for me being able to travel and connect with people that way has always been really fun. And uh, what I really enjoy doing right now is being able to connect with my friends from all these conferences that I've met over the years, like over the internet. So I love my phone and my computer and all of that for that reason. Um, And for a while I was in a public speaking club, which sort of, after we moved, uh, my dance teacher that I had been with for a long time, actually, she retired right around the same time that we were gearing up to move house. So it's kind of perfect timing, really. Um, but when we moved, um, uh, I didn't really have an activity for a while. And I didn't mind that because um, I enjoyed the downtime of just sort of being by myself and hanging out in my house and stuff a lot. Um, But I discovered this thing called Speakers League that my friend, uh, Lily, who I knew from the dance class, she's she's like my best friend. Um, She had been doing this speaking club and I went along with her just one day because I was hanging out with her and she had to go to it. So I just went as a guest and it was really fun. So I joined it and because we're unschoolers, we just kind of were like, okay, it sounds fun. Let's do it. No, no big thing about it or anything. And so that was sort of, that was kind of like my main thing for like a good, almost two years. That was really fun. Uh, and now uh, I had to stop doing that because one, I aged out of it because I was a lot older than everybody else in the club. Mm-hmm. But two, uh, I had to stop because I started going to college um and that's what I'm doing now I'm in my second semester I'm about to start my fifth week of my second semester so it's already flying by really fast and uh, I'm going to the New York Film Academy in Burbank which is actually the school where my dad teaches at he teaches sound mixing and I am studying game design because I really like games not much more to it than that (laughs) no deeper thought really besides I like games so I'll make games yeah. <laughs> beautiful, yeah. beautiful. Uh, so just, you know, to let everybody notice, make sure they notice. So you didn't, you didn't go to school at all until you no. try out college. Yeah, school. this is my first time going to school and all, all my classmates are aware of this and they're all like, yeah, I wouldn't have guessed. <laughs> like, you don't really seem like what we would think of as a homeschooler. I'm like, yeah, well, <laughs> Most people don't think of the right thing when they think of homeschoolers. So, yeah, oh, and we're going to get into that in a in a little while too, because that that'll be really fascinating. But can mm-hmm. you just talk a little bit about how you found the transition for yourself? Well, 
I think it was, well, so I went through like a first couple of days that was like a really sort of emotionally like tolling on me where I was kind of like overwhelmed. But part of it had to do with the fact that um, when I chose the game design course, it ended up being close to a year before I could actually start. Mm -hmm. And I was having like sort of second guessing whether or not that was actually what I wanted to do now a year later. Um, and, you know, now that it's been, you know, this was back in September. So now it's been, you know, months and I'm feeling much more, you know, I'm feeling much better about, about the choice, but I'm still, you know, I, I, I'm sort of, Oh, would I rather do filmmaking there instead? And I think what I'm going to do is after I finished with game design, do a film degree at the school because I kind of want to do both now. But when I came to the school initially, I was feeling very like torn. And so that sort of was part of it. And I, it wasn't just entirely the new experience thing, but I think it being something so new for me did amplify the sort of overwhelmed feeling I was getting. But at the same time, the transition was certainly helped a lot because my dad was there you know I drive like to and from school with my dad pretty much every day uh barring a few exceptions where I have to like uber <laughs> always I always have to account for like an extra 20 minutes when I do that because the uber drivers don't know what they're doing <laughs> um but you know with my dad there I was able to talk to him between classes we will have lunch together most days um so being able to talk to him and, and have him right there immediately made it feel a lot easier to sort of get into the swing of things mm -hmm. and knowing also that because we're unschoolers even though I'm now you know not school-aged anymore we're still an unschooling family yeah. um being able to like just go and talk to my parents and also to if I felt like it just decide I didn't want to do it anymore at any point with no like stress or repercussions from them besides them wanting to make sure that I that that was you know what I really wanted to do it it relieves a lot of the stress of oh uh if this isn't right what do I do like I'm gonna be stuck like this Ugh. no there's none of that so I think for some people you know with that moving into something new even if they're not unschoolers it can be very like oh well I've committed to this I have to finish it even if I don't really want to. The other thing is luckily I'm in a very fortunate situation that because my dad works at the school, I only have to pay uh, very small uh, like lab fees to go to the school. I don't have to pay the normal tuition, which means I don't have the same financial burden that a lot of people would have as well, which makes me a further, you know, fortunate and privileged in this situation to have less stress. But in terms of the the transition into it itself, like that first week, it was stressful, but in a sort of exciting way. And I think all of these other things, you know, not having that financial burden and having the, I know I can just stop if I want to mindset really did help me in terms of the long-term thoughts. Like, oh, well, if I don't like this, I'll, it's fine. You know, yeah. it, was, it was not that difficult basically. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I love that. I love the way you explained it too. You know, um, all those, those pieces of it are so um, understandable. And, and the importance of 
even, you know, it, it, the importance of it knowing that it's a choice, right? Like even, yeah, for so, sure. you know, and, and I love your point that your, your parents would be, you know, talking with you to make sure that this was the choice, you know, helping you process like, no, I really do want to leave if, if that was the choice. Right. So it, it's mm-hmm. not about the guilt or the expectation, but it is about, you know, talking about it enough so that you are comfortable um, with, with making the choices, which is how we love to chat with our kids, you know, all the time. You know, that's what you've done yeah. all your life with them, right? When you're, you know, joining dance, joining speakers, leaving this, moving, you know, these are all conversations so that we can process and, you know, be more sure of how we're seeing things and how they're sitting with us, right? For sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So I'd be curious. I just wanted to talk a little bit about some of your interests growing up um, and how you pursued them. You talked about dance and speakers club. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about, so how did you get into um, game design? How was that interesting to you? Well, so first of all, I have always liked video games. And yeah. I think some of that is partially due to the time that I, like my era growing up is like video games had become a common enough thing that pretty much everybody sort of knew what they were. And there was it was easy access to video games and consoles, but it wasn't to the point where all video games were in some degree like portable or online yet. Like I very much remember growing up having stacks of discs and like DVD boxes for my games and having to install the disc and then keep the disc in the thing whenever I wanted to play. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, we had like a GameCube when I was little and an original Xbox and we, still have a PlayStation 2 that's actually in my bedroom just over there um and uh like my parents were always like quote unquote early adopters to like new technology that's what they've told me I don't I don't know how true that is but um I assume it is true especially in the part of my dad he told me that he used to like build his own computers so ever since I was little like uh, understanding of like games and technology and like using technology first and foremost as a way to like play games and do fun stuff versus like oh printing stuff like we had a printer but I didn't care about that I cared about the Xbox you know um so I've always been very comfortable with that stuff so I still play a lot of video games now not as much as I'd like because I don't have as much time Mm -hmm. now but you know I love video games and I just I really enjoy playing them and also figuring out like I love finding like videos on YouTube of like hidden Easter eggs in blah 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 whatever that are like listing little things that the game developers hid in places and stuff like that so for me like the the design process of games is always very interesting to me as well um so when I learned that I could study game design I thought it would be really fun. And I also, and a lot of this is from going to conferences. I love board games and like tabletop games, like card games and stuff. So, because we always play a ton of those. Like, I don't know how much like the parents at the conferences are aware of this, but at conferences up until like late in the evening, most nights, there's always some group of like teenagers 
playing tabletop games in some little corner of the hotel. Maybe it's someone's hotel room or just a part of like the conference lobby that they're not they're not bugging people about. There's always people up late playing board games. And I know the parents do this too. I, I'm actually wearing a free to be t-shirt. It's a <laughs> conference in Arizona. Yeah. Um, but the parents do this too at that conference at least. Like they're always up playing games. But the kids are always up playing games too. So I have played so many tabletop games with just like just at conferences alone and um they they you learn how to make those uh at the school I'm going to as well like one of our one of my assignments right now is I have to take the game werewolf and retheme it to be like different characters Mm -hmm. because instead of like werewolves it would be like something else so um that's one of my assignments that I have to do for Monday um and with with sort of like growing up and, and learning I really liked games. It was so many of these different things that I enjoyed doing, you know, playing games at conferences, playing video games for myself, you know. I also really liked playing games and having my parents watch them or in the case of like games that were too difficult for me or I was scared of, I would like make my mom play them. And I don't mean like ask her to. I would like I'd be like five or like five or eight or something. And I would like strong arm my mom <laughs> into playing um, Haunted Mansion on the Xbox for me. And I would sit over her shoulder and watch because I was too scared to like do all of the like combat with the mm-hmm. scary enemies myself. But I would make her do it. And then I would like boss her around and be like, oh no, no, you got to go over there and do this. Wait, but the thing's over there. And it was <laughs> so I re- still remember it. It was very fun. And we would also, me and her would also play um, Nancy Drew games because there's these games by Her Interactive that are these like Nancy Drew, I don't even know what genre they would be. They're not like any other game I've ever played because they're, it's like weirdly kind of 2D, but you're moving around the place and you're talking to people and you're doing little puzzles, and you're looking for objects. It's, it's, it's truly just you're doing a mystery as Nancy Drew. And I have played so many of these games. Like, I think we've played, me and her have played pretty much all of them, because we played one, and then we were like, oh, no, now we need to get all of them and play <laughs> all of them. So we've played, I think, all but maybe the second one, which is really old, and they didn't make a remaster for, so we haven't played that one. And I think we might be behind by one right now, but still we've played so many of them and those are so fun. So it's these like kind of other little activities from throughout my life where I'm like, Oh, I just have this like backlog of affection for games that just kind of, I don't even know what really started. it. I just have always had that. And my mom actually told me a story the other day where she's like, yeah, one of your birthday parties, you, came up with this whole elaborate game for everybody to play around the pool and it was like super confusing and none of the adults knew what you were doing but all the kids were really into it and I was like so I've been designing games since I was like eight what the hell (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) oh my gosh yeah it's so true something in me yeah yeah and that's what I find so fascinating is it's when you look back that you can start seeing the thread, right? When you're mm-hmm. in it, it's like, like you said, you know, it's not like game design was 
flashing and lights before you saying, come this way, yes. come this way, right? But when you look back, you can see over the years how you've mm-hmm. been attracted to to that, right? Whether it's through tabletop, yes. whether it's through like person to person, let's play and come up with a game while we're all together, through um, the different kinds of video games and loving loving the Easter eggs and loving knowing um, what designers are doing inside and, and the, the fun things that they're putting there even for themselves and, and knowing that level of detail. It's so cool to see how that all kind of has come together at this point for that. It's really yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk a bit about for unschooling parents, it can be hard um, when we look at our kids' interests, right? You know, and you were talking about games. It it can be hard when we're starting out not to judge kind of our kids' interests and and be easier or more relaxed about things that fit more easily into that academic box, right? Um mm-hmm. Yet, you had talked about, um, when we were talking before, about fandoms and pop culture, and you mentioned Billie Eilish and, you know, the game stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those can be really great learning tools for unschoolers. Oh, yeah. And parents can can Mm -hmm. do that processing to get through. So I was hoping you could talk about that a bit. Yeah, so the thing is... Well, first and foremost, I think that a lot of parents have the expectation that what, like when they're learning about unschooling, when they're getting into it, they have the expectation that their kids' interests, allowing their kids to just learn via their interests, because that is kind of like the the phrasing around, like the pitch for unschooling, which is that your kids aren't going to learn in school, they're going to learn through their interests, which is true, but a lot of parents who are like de-schooling still will have the expectation that that means that their kids' interests will fall within some sort of academic area, but they can learn it their own way. So they're not going to have to worry about school, yeah. but that is obviously not true. But I think what they instead should try and wrap their head around is the idea that most of the areas of academia that, you know, school teaches kids you know through high school and middle school and whatever it's actually that those are things that aren't part are in some way part of everything anybody could kind of really be interested in in some little ways you know math english science those sort of basic subjects you're gonna end up learning parts of those through completely unrelated topics anyway and it's not it's like the other way around what parents kind of expect it to be. And like, I never got like reading lessons. I learned how to read through, you know, uh, probably a lot of video games and my parents reading to me and having just books I liked. And like, that's one of those things where it's like, they didn't, they didn't expect me to just have like, reading as an interest as if it was like a school subject I was interested in mm-hmm. um so flipping in the mind of, of, of so, flipping in your mind like oh it's it's not that your kid's going to be interested in academic subjects it's that the academic subjects are inherently just part of everybody's interests in some way um like I don't like math 
as as a sort of a subject personally. I'm sure that if I had gone to school and had had to take math classes, I would have been just completely rolling my eyes, so sick of it by like day one. <laughs> uh, but I do use a lot of math in game design because you have to when it comes to figuring out like game mechanics. There's a lot of numbers involved with that, and um, when you're doing like animation, uh, like symmetry is really important, and numbers are really like you know geometry uh, is 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 basically that. So um, I use these skills that I not so much didn't even know I had because I did actually study for uh, the chess which is the California high school proficiency exam. I was doing it just because I kind of wanted to. Uh, honestly, I didn't end up passing. No, I took it twice. And the at home lessons, the, the at home like tests that I did, because they had like sample tests. I did pass those, but I didn't pass the actual test. Uh, I don't really care though, so I digress. Uh, <laughs> but I, I didn't know I had some degree of these skills, but I didn't really realize how how much I actually was like aware of them, mm-hmm. and I use them quite a lot. But I don't like isolated. I don't care for that any of that. But I do like it in relation to these things. Like I do find that part of the game design rather interesting. Um, but you know, for when it comes to like. Uh, like the fandom and pop culture stuff, um, you know, a lot of people don't quite understand that like kids are going to have interests that they may actually never really share with their parents. So they may have like, they may have like a show that they really like that they've watched the whole thing of, they've talked to their friends about, but maybe they just don't like, they just don't really feel the need to like talk to their parents about it. Not me. That's not me. But <laughs> I do know that there's some, I know some people, like some of my friends who are unschoolers who they have lots of interests. It's not that they keep secret. It's just that they don't really care either way about sharing with their parents. And like they learn all sorts of things from those. So there will be areas almost of like hidden learning, like from the parent where they'll suddenly be like, where did you learn all of this stuff? I know that my parents do that all the time. They're like, where did you get so smart? Where'd you learn this from? How did you know all this? It's like, I just know it. Cause I just have like accumulated that knowledge from things. But you know, like I know lots of kids read like fan fiction, but they're not going to go and talk about the details of a fan fiction they've read with their parents, you know, not necessarily. And there's like, you know, other things like that, you know, there's, there's some things that people just kind of learn through the stuff that they're big fans of without even it really being shown how big of a fan they are maybe. And I think that that's also something that people should be a little bit more like expecting of is just like expect that there's going to be stuff that you're going to be really surprised when your kid has this like knowledge about or this interest in because it's just something that's happened passively without you even realizing. And you know, I think I think fandom is kind of the one area where that's the most likely to happen because people, when it comes to like interests, like TV shows or books or whatever or movies, they may not necessarily like they know what their parents might have interests in, and they don't necessarily think that their parents might be interested in the same thing. So they might have their own interests that are kind of separate from that. Like I know, like I have plenty of like 
shows I watch like on Netflix in my own time that I just watch them and I don't like go and spend a million years trying to get my parents to watch them because I'm interested in them but I do tell them about them but not everybody does that just because they just know that their parents are like oh well you haven't you wouldn't like this show so I'm not going to bother you with information about a show that you're not interested in which I think even that like knowing that is part of like the great relationship that parents and kids tend to have with unschooling but I I know that for me a lot of what I know has come from like things that I'm interested in before things that I felt like I needed to learn which is where you know as an unschooler I'm very happy that I wasn't ever forced to go to classes and attend school for kind of knowledge I'd probably end up forgetting because it wasn't related to anything I cared about so you know, there was no drive for me to keep learning. I rambled on for so long. I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, no, that's brilliant. I really enjoyed that, Jane. And because it's so true that, you know, back when, when you started talking, you were talking about um, how the the interests aren't interests in subject. I loved your example of, you know, not interested in, it wasn't about learning to read. You know, mm-hmm. you know, that wasn't the thing, but you were doing all sorts of things in your, in, with your interests in which reading was part of it. Right. Yeah. And like playing I, games. yeah, exactly. I remember that cause that was a big aha moment for me. You know, when I looked back, my kids were, we've been unschooling for a few years. Um, and I looked and realized that you talked about those basic skills, you know, some basic skills with numbers and some history and, and reading and all that kind of stuff. They all picked up in very different ways through their own unique interests. But because those are the basic ways that as a society, we communicate and share information, they all came across words and reading and numbers and everything in within their interests. So it didn't matter whether it was video games or whether, you know, for a few years it was Harry Potter or whatever it was, you still got that basic grounding because that's that those are kind of the basic things through which we as a that we as a society use, right? Those are those are kind of the tools that we use and that are part of our conversations. But that's the whole point is they don't need to be skills themselves and learned alone and naked. They can just be part of whatever it is that we're interested in pursuing. I, I think that's such a, a huge piece that helps parents release that, that pull to academic skills. But it, it takes some time to, to realize that difference, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And I mean, yeah, that's the thing is like, these are sort of building blocks of how everything, everything in our society works. So, you know, you're gonna have to learn like kind of how to read and how to write and basic math skills. It, it's just gonna happen because everybody needs to know those things at some point or another. And that's not to say everybody has to get taught those things at some point or another. It's rather that they will come along naturally with everything that that you do. Like like I said, like I I've, I've played World of Warcraft since I was eleven. Uh, well, actually. No, since 2011, so when I had just turned 12. Um, and 
that game, you have to do so much reading to play that game. And I had already learned how to read, you know, by the time I was, I was 12, but I, I would not have been able to, to fully play that game any, any much before that, because the amount of reading you have to do to navigate that game, to understand what you're doing is crazy. So when I hear people say that they like play World of Warcraft since they were like five or six, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. First of all, you're violating so many of Blizzard's terms of service. So <laughs> that's great. But also, wow, I could never have played it that young because I could not read when I was five or six. <laughs> well, that's it. I love that. You, you know, and you, that's what you mentioned. I forget how you said it, but, but time-wise, it's like when it comes up, when it's, or when it works for for the person, yeah. Like not about a time thing, right? It doesn't matter, yeah. Because because if you you weren't reading strongly before that, you were doing other things. You were playing other games, and mm-hmm. reading wasn't a huge monumental component, right? It doesn't mean you were yeah. waiting around for that, but you were doing things, um, and then you were strengthening all those skills that you had at that point too, right? It's it's so fun to see because not knowing something by any particular age doesn't get need to get in anybody's way, right? You just you're working with what you with the skills that you have and pursuing the things that you like. And like you said, you know, your parents were reading to you and for you at those, you know, it it just my mom would read me Harry Potter and I remember like she would read me Harry Potter in my parents' bed. And I remember when I was really little, like I have a distinct memory of like laying with her and like looking up at the page and like seeing, seeing the words uh, to Harry Potter. I don't remember which book, probably one of the earlier ones, but yeah. 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 Like this does not, it is all part of the journey. And that's what makes it so unique for for everybody, even though, you know, we're all encountering those basic things. But that's what's so beautiful about unschooling is because you're not um, putting expectations on the kids like and you see that at conferences, right? The expectations aren't on them. So they don't feel bad about where they are. They feel confident and happy with where they are and their interest in the things that they're doing are playing to their strengths and they're happily getting help when they need help, right? Just asking anybody around them. So fun. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's the way the unschooling cookie crumbles. <laughs> yeah, it is. So let's get back to what you mentioned earlier. So I'd love to hear your take on the ways that school and homeschoolers are represented in popular media and stereotypes what's your experience with that so I here's the thing I I actually did so I did a talk at a conference I I spoke at uh, free to be uh, back in September Uh um, and I spoke about the way that in a lot of like movies and television shows homeschoolers are sort of portrayed and not very often to be fair because they're not really shown much in, in media at all. But yeah. when they are, they're often portrayed as being kind of like some sort of outsider to a certain degree. And sometimes this is sort of in a positive way and sometimes it's not. And one of the things is 
in a lot of these cases, it's not so much that they get the idea that, you know, a homeschooler would be, you know, an outsider to school kids wrong, because that is true, because they're not going to necessarily have the same interests or be in the same social circles as a school kid. So that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But there's sort of this presumption in a lot of these cases, and it's hard for me to think of examples because there's so few, but it's sort of, there's this presumption that a homeschooler is kind of going to have to get over their homeschooledness eventually. Like they're going to have to one day become normal or like they're always going to be weird because of that or they're, they're, they're missing out on something. Um, like my, my favorite example to bring up with this because the character is so central is in um, It by Stephen King. Uh, the character of uh, Mike Hamlin, he is homeschooled and he is his nickname and particularly in the movies, um, the new films in the movies, like the other kids, their nickname for him at first, when they first meet him, they literally call him homeschool. They say, Hey, homeschool. (sighs) And you know, it's like, to me, it's like, how is that at all relevant? (laughs) But Okay. (laughs) It's like they don't they don't know much about him beyond the fact that he's homeschooled. And then the thing is, the character, he's sort of portrayed as he's very sweet and kind. And there's nothing wrong with any of his character traits. But it's interesting because he is ends up being the kind of weirdly like the hero of the story because without spoiling too much for the viewers, I guess, uh he like he ends up having to be the only one who stays behind in their hometown when everybody else leaves because when they leave they forget their memories of Pennywise the clown so he ends up being the only person he chooses to stay behind in the town he grows up there and he ends up being the person to call everybody out back being like hey Pennywise is back we got shit to do and he he's the person who gets all the knowledge and who who has this like backlog of, of of stuff and all this history about Pennywise that he's able to use to help them defeat Pennywise. So he's like sort of the the unsung hero, and in a way, I consider this to actually be a really positive portrayal of a homeschooler because he never like starts going to school with the other kids, but he also uses his interests that he throws himself into to save the day which I think is great but there's a lot of times like on like other shows where it's not even so much the way that the homeschoolers are portrayed but the way that like the actual school kids are portrayed in like shows like Disney Channel shows where they've always got this like obligation to their school in this like way that it seems like it just weighs down on the whole plot and all of the characters so much. And in, in stuff like, like pretty much every Disney channel show, like especially in like Hannah Montana is like a good example because in Hannah Montana, she has this like problem. Oh, she's got this double life. And the biggest issue around that is that when she goes to school, she has to be Miley. But when she's, you know, not going to school and not hanging out with her school friends, she's Hannah. And she has to deal with her fame. And if she was homeschooled, that would never be the same issue. Because 
she wouldn't have all the people at her school who know that she is Miley, but who don't know that she's Hannah, that she would have to deal with. If she was homeschooled, then she'd just be Miley whenever she wants, and she could be Hannah whenever she wants. And it wouldn't really matter. And like, Wizards of Waverly Place, because I watch a lot of Disney Channel growing up. Uh, Wizards of Waverly Place. That's another show where it's like, they're wizards. Why are they going to school? (laughs) Why are they going to normal high school? What is this? And then they had to like, go to wizard school for a minute that was like, rip off Hogwarts. And that was also really weird. And just like, it's like, why does school even matter? They're wizards. And like with Harry Potter even, something that they don't really ever talk about is the fact that there's it's pretty much presumed that all the wizards would be homeschooled before they go to Hogwarts. Yeah. Because they don't ever mention like a wizarding middle school or like, you know, it wouldn't even be middle school. They're 11 when they start Hogwarts. You know, there is no like earlier education for wizards. It's discussed. And even Harry's like muggle education before going to Hogwarts, which was presumably very, you know, lackluster because the Dursleys didn't care about him but you know even that's like kind of glossed over we don't really care about that yeah but even but you know the wizards they like they were homeschoolers and then they started going to learn specific actually like useful and applicable skills in their life like magic skills that you know it's almost like the same thing as like when people go to study to be like a doctor it's like yeah you can't homeschool how to be a doctor that isn't gonna work <laughs> not gonna lie love homeschooling <laughs> love being unschooled but you can't homeschool how to be a doctor you need to go and study that <laughs> I think almost in like the wizarding world it's kind of like that like there's so many spells there's so many things about that and there are so many terrible wizards especially for like the muggle-born students they should go to Hogwarts to learn this stuff because then it's like they're with people and they're doing that. They're like around magic and they're in the wizarding world. But they were homeschooled before that for most of like the pure-blooded wizards. Like, sounds sucky, but like Draco Malfoy was a homeschooler. <laughs> you know, the, and like the Weasleys would have been homeschoolers before they went to Hogwarts. And we don't hear about this because homeschooling is kind of like Nobody, nobody really wants to talk or hear about Mm -hmm. like what homeschooling can actually like be useful for and like why it can be so, so good. Like I can look, I can totally tell the Weasleys would be homeschoolers. They seem like homeschoolers for sure. (laughs) No, that's so true. You know, you, as you think about specifically Harry Potter there. Yeah. They don't, when they, when they're from a wizard family, yeah, they were at home until it was time to go to Hogwarts. But you're right. It, it it just kind of gets glossed over, not really mentioned, you know, and maybe it wasn't part of that story. But you're right. There are quite a few situations in stories um, where they, uh, you're right. I think they don't want to open that kind of can of worms. Yeah. Yeah. Because then it's like, because then people start to think about homeschooling. Yeah, and realize what's going on with homeschooling too much. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, when I had uh, contacted you before, uh, when we were talking about this mm-hmm. call, 
You also mentioned um, food choices and food limitations as being something that you were interested in chatting about. So I'd love to hear your experience with that. Yeah, so I never was limited on my food, barring anything with peanuts in them because I'm allergic to peanuts. So that's like a, a actual limitation I have. Um, but, you know, when I was little, I could I could eat whatever I wanted. My parents never said, oh, you can't eat all of this or don't, or that's too much sugar. Nothing, none of that stuff. Um, and I have seen, particularly with like, because I, and this sort of a, to sidetrack myself for a second, I sort of see homeschooling and unschooling as being like a, a spectrum, like a kind of a gradient from like homeschooling in the sense that like you're doing school at home mm-hmm. to then a spectrum across to where unschooling, like a true full on unschooler is at the opposite end. And then like, there's like middle areas in between because there's homeschoolers who might be more like unschoolers and unschoolers who might seem more like homeschoolers and, and, and sort of different areas of, of, of where they cross over. And I think the point of that is to say that I have experienced with a lot of homeschoolers who are definitely more on this end where there's a lot of school at home type activities going on. Um, there tends to be more of the like food restriction type things because I feel like that almost occurs more with homeschoolers than it does with like parents who send their kids to school because when they're sending their kids to school, they have a lot less control over what their kid does day to day anyway, because their Um, kids at school all day. So yeah. they're not thinking so much about what their kid's going to be necessarily eating at every moment of the day besides maybe packing them a lunch. And so they're not going to be over their shoulder to say, don't eat that, you can't eat that 100% of the time. Whereas with homeschoolers who are on this more sort of academic leaning side of things, there'll be a tendency to, and I've seen this with my friends who have this, of this life, who their parents will be very like very particular over their diet Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's for like medical reasons like if they have like actual allergies and sometimes it's kind of for no reason at all one second excuse me i'm just getting over cold (sighs) sorry about that um but with like restricting foods and things like that because I've never had that for myself but I've seen it with my friends I've noticed that a lot of the time all that it ends up leading to is kids really wanting that specific food like more than anything and going kind of crazy for it and like making it a whole big thing when maybe they don't even really care that much for that food. They just want it because it's sort of exclusive and like out of reach for them. And it just makes me like, I mostly wanted to talk about this because it just kind of like as like a PSA to unschoolers who are, or the people who are getting interested in unschooling. It's like, just like let your kids eat what they want because you know, the other thing is like, unless your kid's like actually allergic to something, 
the vast majority of things that they're going to eat, they're going to bounce back from. You're not going to set them up for a life of horrible diets because they're allowed to try and eat whatever. They're going to know exactly what they like and what they don't like, and they're going to be able to pick and choose as they go very specifically what they want to eat. Like you're more likely to set up your kid for a life of being picky eater who's very specific about what they want to eat than somebody who wants to eat everything all, all the time. Like for me, I don't like I don't really have very much of a sweet tooth. And that's because when I was little, I never was restricted to eat sugar or anything like that. I was allowed to eat, you know, as many cookies or whatever, much candy as I wanted, which I honestly didn't eat very much. But like I'm, I like, I, like as a kid, like when I would go trick or treating, which I did up until just a few years ago, I would be the type of person who would have like a bag full of candy and I'd have it like sitting around not be eaten for like five months because yeah. like, I just wouldn't finish the candy. Like my parents would eat more of it than I would, like because I just don't have much of a sweet tooth. So you know, like there's there's places where by creating that like unnecessary restriction you're gonna sort of almost sabotage your goal and I've seen it happen like I've been at my friend's house where like who were they're homeschooled but very like very like school at home homeschooled and their mom would have like dietary restrictions on them very specifically and all that they would want would be to have this one thing and it would create like a huge like argument and like fight and like you know like tantrums whatever you want to call it like that sort of thing would happen and it would be like oh my god how is any of this worth the fuss just let them eat it oh my gosh like who cares like what do you think is going to happen <laughs> so you know that that that's a sort of the like i don't really i don't think that it's worth all the stress people put themselves through to try and restrict and have super control over their kids' diets because I know what can happen if you don't do that. And it's fine. Like, it is truly fine. Right? Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, um, eventually they're going to get to an age where they have control over their food, right? Yeah. And then, I mean, look what you've set them up for if you leave them in a place where they haven't been able to explore food, that things have been restricted. You know, we talk about, we talk about that um, quite a bit on the podcast. I love that you're sharing that you saw it in action, you know, with, mm-hmm. with your friends, that those restrictions, it becomes about the restriction. Like you said, it doesn't even, you don't even know how much they'd actually like that food. It's the, the urge is there because of the restriction, right? It makes it kind of a forbidden, forbidden thing. And they want to know for themselves. Yeah. Do I like it? Would I like it? And, you know, it, so much of that, as you also said, um, gets in the way of the relationship, the tantrums and the arguments. And it, it, becomes, yeah. it becomes so much about power, a power struggle over that food rather than exploration and figuring out, you know, uh, whether or not they enjoy it, how they feel when they eat it, you know, and then that's just something they're going to have to figure out later on. And they're going to be able to, because eventually as a parent, you're not going to be able to control their food. Right. 
100%. It's like parents definitely, parents who live more like kind of traditional lifestyles, but who are also like homeschoolers, particularly because like I said, the, the, the greater access to that yeah. control, you know, they have a tendency to set up so many arbitrary restrictions and with, with other things beyond just food that just kind of like seem like they're setting their kid up like they're sort of self-sabotaging their own you know goal but they're also setting their kid up for difficulties with understanding themselves and their own limits with those things you know like because like I said like I know that I'm not I don't have a huge sweet tooth if I had never been allowed to have sugar as a kid I wouldn't even know that yeah and I would have I would have no idea what my sort of tolerance for that was Mm mm-hmm yeah, wow, that's so interesting, and and that's that's such a great point too. The the I love the way you phrase it: access to control. Yeah, but it, it it really is when you think when you think of it that way because they're with their kids all the time. Um, so mm-hmm. they it, it is something um, definitely to consider and contemplate, and that's the whole the huge chunk of the de-schooling journey, right? As you're figuring this out and you're figuring out relationships and, and you're seeing the reaction and the challenges that when you attempt to control things, what happens to, to the relationship, right? So there's mm-hmm. just so many aspects to it. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. So last question. I would love to know, looking back, what do you appreciate most? at this point from growing up unschooling? Oh, I think a lot of it is, is sort of that like ability to know all my own interests and my own, like my own tolerance for things sort of ties back into this, but like, you know, we could get into like whole thing about like screen time and that stuff too. You know, my parents never really put any restrictions on kind of anything I ever really did beyond, you know, kind of things that they had to, you know, maybe like financially or safety things, you know, generally there was no, there was no arbitrary restrictions on anything I wanted to do or anything I was able to do. And in that it ended up making it so easy for me to figure out really quickly what I what I was interested in what I did like what I didn't like kind of to also have like these skills with these things that are so important because you know I'm I'm studying game design that's a technological field you know very I'm using computers every day at school you know and because I've grown up being able to have unlimited access to a computer I I'm or I'm good at a computer I know how to use a computer completely and it's sort of things like that little things that you don't really think like oh it wouldn't make that much of a difference beyond like oh your kid can play video games all day no I'm I have like another a whole other skill set that's so important and you know it also it means that I in a weird way if I'm like I can spend my time with my parents as much as I want to and like I can talk to my mom about what I've been doing and all these things and talk to her about things I'm interested in and then when I'm done with that like when we're done talking or if I'm 
you know, ready to sort of, if I'm tired of being like social or whatever, I have all the tools in my mindset of knowing all the different things I'm interested in that I could go and do. Cause I have never had like a limit on, on that, on being able to just go off and do my own thing. And I think that that part of the, the relationship of my parents being willing to trust me to find my own entertainment at certain times when I'm not feeling like relying on them to entertain me, you know, as a kid, it's like I could go and play, play Barbies by myself when I was little. Like I didn't need, always need somebody with me for those things. Like I, I always had a sense of independence that allowed me to find a certain degree of, of both entertainment, but also to learn and, and know my own my own limits myself. So I think sort of that has been really helpful, especially now like in college, because, you know, I'm with people all day, most days. Like I've got, you know, most days I have two classes a day and I'm at school for hours and I'm with the same group of people. I've been I've been I see these people almost every day since September. And I'm friends with all of them. And we're all like varying of different ages and what have you you know lots of different life experiences you know we're all from different places but having that own knowledge of like what I'm interested in myself and what I know for myself and sort of my own limits with even like just the social situations it makes it so easy for me to jump right into their discussions because they have all different life experiences especially the people in my class who are a little bit older like I don't feel in any way like any sort of outcast or different from them because I have the same amount of like knowledge of myself and like self-confidence in my interests and my capabilities that they all do with their different things whether that be from like a prior college experience because most of the people in my class are actually getting MFAs so they're getting like an extended degree out there like they're getting a postgraduate degree so they already have undergraduate degrees um so you know they already have like a whole bank of knowledge of things that they know and they're interested in and whatever and I have all of this from my whole life and it kind of it makes me feel more equal to them in a weird way even though you know we are all in the same situation but still and, you know, also just knowing that I can come and talk to my parents about anything whenever I want to, whenever I need to, is very nice. And also knowing, like, again, that, like, ease of pressure, like, oh, well, if you aren't enjoying this, just quit. It's fine. Like, there's no, like, oh, well, if you don't get good grades, then we're going to take away blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, no. First of all, can do that now because I'm 20. That'd be really extra and, like, stupid. But... <laughs> You know, like there's never been anything like that. So it's it's just nice to have that that feeling of like almost relief. Like, oh, if I'm anxious or stressed about anything, it doesn't actually matter because I can just kind of get, I can just leave the situation or not do this thing that's bothering me. You know, like I, like homework that I have actually quite a bit of I, it's like my base level of stress or, or anxiety about any of that is so low because I know like at the end of the day, oh, if I don't get like all A's, which for the record, I got all A's last semester, just saying. <laughs> um, but 
uh, like if I don't get all A's, it's like, oh, well, whatever. No big deal. Like it doesn't, it doesn't really matter to me. Like I, I was, I, my dad told me about how he had a student who, cause he teaches at the school, right? How he had a student who came into his class, who was sick, who was like quite, quite sick. And my dad was like, no, you gotta go home. You cannot come to class. And, um, the student was like, no, but I can't, I can't miss class. Like I can't, I, I can't, my, my grades, blah, blah, all this stuff. And my dad was like, go the hell home. What are you doing? And I, it made me think about like the other day, like a week ago, I had a class on a Saturday, um, which was like a makeup class for a class that we didn't have a few weeks ago. And, um, I chose not to go to class because I was feeling sick. Like I had a cold and I'm, I'm still just getting over it a little bit. Like I'm a little sniffly still, but you know, now I'm fine. But a week ago I was, I was quite sick and I wasn't feeling well. And I was like, you know, no, I'm just not going to go to class. And so I sent an email to my teacher and it was fine. And then I passed out and slept the whole, the whole day. So it's fine, <laughs> you know, and it's things like that where obviously uh, it's like, I didn't really think very much about it. I was thinking more like, how do I feel? Not so much like, Oh no, my grades are going to suffer because I missed this class. It's like, eh whatever. <laughs> if I miss one class, it's not going to be, it's not going to do, be that bad for me. The other thing is so the school's kind of, it's a little easy to get good grades at the school, I'm not going to lie. Like, it's, the, <laughs> the grading criteria is not that intense at my school, but it's like, I don't even really care that much about that because I just want to do my best. And where I care about, like, the grades is I care about it reflecting that I've done my best work because that's what I'm striving for for myself but I don't really care about the actual grade itself, if that makes sense. So that's something mm-hmm. that I think unschooling has given me that I really appreciate because it gives me a different, a different perspective when I'm doing all of this stuff. That's this really big thing that I'm doing, you know? And again, like I just like being able to hang out with my parents and spend time with them and be close with them in a way that I think a lot of, a lot of school kids don't have like a super like close, like friendly relationship with their parents in the way that unschoolers tend to have with their parents. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I think all those things. Yeah. 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 I love that so much, Jane. Yeah. You talked about the self-confidence, the self-awareness. I love when you were talking about how, you know, you have so much life experience because you've been living your life for years and years and years, you know, to, be part of conversations with like older people who have um, other life experiences, you know, beyond school, like you, you feel like an equal that you can participate in those conversations rather. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was, that was so brilliant. I love that. And, and just that confidence to know yourself and to be able, like you were saying, you know, if I've had enough of being social, I, I am happy to go. If, I want to join a conversation, you know, I know how I'm comfortable jumping into a conversation. Yeah. And the relationship with parents. Yeah. You, you hit so many wonderful notes about unschooling. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me, Jane. I'm so happy that we made it work. Yay. <laughs> yeah. This is awesome. I had a great time. Honestly, if you ever want me to come back, uh, I'm free on weekends. So Weekends, yeah. yes, I know. Yeah, We're doing awesome. this on a weekend. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, this is yeah. Which you know, that's crazy. I'm I'm now I'm now for the first time in my life I'm a person who's like, ooh, the weekends. Yeah, which yeah. that's something different. Because you know, now. before it used to be like there was not all that much difference besides the weekend would be the time when my dad would be home from work, so we'd get to do stuff as a family. But for myself, it was like there's not much difference. But now, oh yes, there is, and I am <laughs> I am becoming a normie where I'm excited <laughs> for the weekend. Uh, and I had I had like two and a half weeks off for Christmas break, and I was like, oh yes, I get to stay home all day. Just <laughs> like, ah, what what's happening? To what's me? Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, thanks again so much, Jane, and have a great yeah. day. You Bye. too. Thank you. Bye. I hope you found this episode helpful on your unschooling journey. And be sure to check out the wonderful archive of earlier podcast episodes. The conversations never go out of date. And you can find more information about my books, my Patreon community, and the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit at my website, livingjoyfully.ca. Have a great day.